Welcome back, everybody. Happy Friday afternoon. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox, here with my esteemed and prolific guest, friend and neighbor, Sam Himmelstein. Before we introduce Sam, the message of the day. It's a little cliche, but I'm a corny guy sometimes. Home is where the heart is. Two reasons I chose that quote for Sam, the two nouns in that statement. First is home. Sam is a tenant lawyer. He's protected many people's homes. He's saved a lot of people from bad situations. New York City living situation can be one of the most treacherous in the world, and Sam has done a great job with that. And the other part is heart. Uh, I've met few people with as much heart as Sam. He's just a really amazing giving dude. Uh, just just so much heart. We'll get into a little more of his heart later, but first we're going to uh, introduce Sam, a little, a little background on uh, Sam. Sam is a graduate of Brooklyn College and the New York Law School. He's a partner in Himmelstein, McDonald, Gribben, Donahue, and Joseph LLP. Did I say that right? McConnell. McConnell. Oh, McConnell. Yeah. McDonald, close, McConnell. Close. Yeah, those Irish names yeah, are Yeah, they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Where he focuses on individual, residential, and commercial tenant and tenants' rights litigation and representation of tenant associations and cooperative conversions. Sam has represented thousands of tenants in landlord tenant court, Supreme Court, New York appellate courts, and before state and city administrative agencies. He has written two manuals, a tenant's guide to housing court and how to get your landlord to correct violations. We should all read that. <laughs> and a manual entitled Tenants' Rights and How to Protect Them. We should read that too. Published by the New York City Commission on Human Rights in 1992. Like I said, this guy's got a lot of heart. In his spare time... From 2001 to 2015, Sam was a member of the rock band The Love Handles. It gets more and more interesting. Keyboards and vocals, which he played regularly at the Cutting Room and other venues in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Sam was selected to Super Lawyers in 2019. Just this year. These are just a few of his accomplishments. Welcome, Sam. Hi. Really awesome to have you on the Thank show. You. Sam is Sam and I lived on the same block for 10 years. We, we got, did. We got to know each other. <clears throat> In the Windsor Terrace neighborhood of Brooklyn, one of the most amazing neighborhoods in the world, um, Sam would regularly come into my wine store. We'd talk about music, we'd talk about wine, and then it mushroomed from there and went into a whole bunch of other topics, uh, which has uh, created a really great relationship over the years. And, uh, and, and he's been a huge inspiration and influence to me in a lot of things that I've done. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have him here. And Sam is a, a native New Yorker. He's from Brooklyn. Why don't you tell us uh, where you're from and what it was like when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. So I grew up in a NYCHA housing project, uh, New York City Housing Authority, in Gravesend, Brooklyn. So you, have, you have a very close connection yeah. well, to I, tenants. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's a big part of why I became right. a tenant lawyer. Right. Um, so uh, and, and I love the name Gravesend, you know, I mean, it's the one it's the one neighborhood that hasn't been re rebranded. Right? right. And it sounds like, so treacherous. It just sounds like the end yeah, of the world. It, well, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I, if, if I were a broker, I'd like rename it Cemetery Hill or something like so that. So if you're you looking know? for an apartment in Brooklyn and you want cheap rent, <laughs> that's, that's where you go. Right. You might have you might not have subway access. Right. But uh, so, so when I was growing up, uh, I thought that there were basically three. Four ethnic groups: Jews, Italians, Blacks, and Hispanics. That I didn't realize there were any, anything else. Well, yeah, and and all of my friends were most of them were either Jewish or Italian. And in fact, I'm interesting you bring it up. Tomorrow, I'm going to a reunion of my projects. We called it the projects back right. then, right? Sure. Of my projects friends, and we are going to Coney Island. We're going to start off on the boardwalk. We're going to go walk to the project, Smallboro Project, where I grew up. And then we're going to go to Spumoni Gardens, which is where we spent a good part of our youth. Quintessential. Uh, Quintessential. Yeah, get, get a slice of square. Some and grandma, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. definitely. Um, so that's where I grew I lived there for 14 years. I went to Lafayette High School. Is, is the building still there? Is the project oh, still the there? Oh, the project's still there. Yeah. It, it was actually a wonderful place to grow up. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. What well, was it was it was well kept. You know, the, we all think of New York City Housing Authority today as falling apart. You know, full of people. You know, social pe problems. The repairs aren't getting done. There's mold. There's leaks. Um, 
it was basically a, I would say, a working class enclave at the time. And, and I, looking back on it, I have to believe that it was deliberately segregated. Because it was, it was, I would say, 90% white. Mm-hmm. And there were one or two buildings that seemed to have all the people of color in them. Yeah. Um, and all that, within the same. Yeah, it's a huge project. place. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge mm-hmm. place. I think it had 24 buildings, wow. um, uh, most of which were seven stories, some of which were 16 stories. Um, and there was all this open space. There was benches and grass and parks. And I had an amazing group of friends and we hung out and we we until the wee hours of the morning we sat on the stoop we played cards uh we played softball classic era and i'm still friends with yeah. those people uh it, there was this really really deep bond uh, uh i i formed my first band there which was the five sharps <laughs> are there five sharps or five flats <laughs> we were five flats <laughs> believe me <laughs> We were, we were what we were what you called a society <laughs> band. Do you remember? You know, sure, what, right? so sure, of course. we like we had a, a sax, a trumpet, a guitar, drums, and a piano. No bass. No bass. No bass. And we did. We played a couple of bar mitzvahs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and we did you know Havana Gila and some show tunes, and I did some singing, and we wore these gold vests and these bossa nova ties. I actually think I saw a picture <laughs> You've seen of this a picture, in Facebook. Right. Yeah. So we used to get mistaken for the waiters all the time. <laughs> <laughs> People would ask us to bring them food. You so, know, so. waiters, can I get some water, yeah, please? Right, exactly. I mean. <laughs> Being a musician myself, I'm a pretty yeah. good waiter. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly right. So I, uh, I own a restaurant. You do a very good one, a very good one, which you should all check out. Yeah, um, checks in the mail. Thank yeah, you. Uh, you, uh, you forgot the address. No, I'm kidding. So I went to Hebrew school, um, even though my father was an atheist and my mother was an agnostic. It's like that old Woody Allen joke. They yeah. used to argue about who believed less. Um, and <laughs> that's actually a line in a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Um, but they were embarrassed. They didn't want me to stick out like a sore thumb and be the only kid in the neighborhood who was bar mitzvah, who was not bar mitzvah. Oh, you see, so you so, did the process. In fact, my father was a communist. He was a member of the Communist Party, believe it or not, which makes me what's called a red diaper baby. Um, and but they never told me because. In those days, if you said you were a communist, you were like, you know, you wanted to atom bomb the United States and you liked Castro and Khrushchev and all these horrible people, supposedly. So so I didn't find out. I was by mitzvah. And when I was 16, I like one day was just sitting out on the bench and I looked up in the sky and I said to myself, you know, I don't believe in this stuff. I had like what I call an anti-religious revelation. Yeah. Um, I just, it like hit me like a, like it wasn't gradual. It was like, right. I don't believe in God anymore. Yeah. And I went and told my father and he said, oh, now we can talk. <laughs> now we can hang out. Yeah. He rolled a joint, yeah. cracked open a beer. Yeah. Was like, it was my like, son. it was like, you know, Finally. now I can tell you. Uh, uh, yeah. I had a similar, I mean, we've had this discussion many times. Yep. I grew up in a, in a Protestant household and they baptized me twice. Because they were like, once, once they going to do it for, this for, one. For, for insurance. <laughs> yeah, I got, they were like, they did it once, and they're like, it didn't take. Look at his, look in his eyes. It's really bad. I love it. And, and I was even younger. I was probably like twelve, and I remember being. My mom was a church organist. They, my parents weren't particularly religious. It wasn't, you know, never discussed in the home. It was, you know, none of that stuff. But we went to church every Sunday because she played, and so we had to, we had to tag along. And, and they grew up kind of in that culture. And I just remember being in there and hearing the sermon one day. And I'm like 12 years old, and I'm, same thing. I just look up and I'm like, this is a crock of shit. <laughs> this is like, this has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Like, you guys are all saying one thing, but you do a completely different thing. Yeah. And I'm interested in like getting it done, right. you know, like doing right. instead of, instead of talking. So right. very, very similar experience. And it has been the spark of many conversations yes. between Sam oh, and yes. I. Yes. In fact, it's funny how the, the, the serendipity of how the show got started. Do you remember me years ago saying, I want to interview you? Yes. I, and I didn't realize it at the time, but this is something that's been brewing I do remember for, that. for a yes. long time. There yes. was a lot of things I wanted to do with <laughs> Sam. So Sam and I played together as well. I've, I've, that was a memorable been, night. Been a sub, in, and we'll get to that in a little while. I've been a, a sub in the Love Handles, and you played in David's band as well with me, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, I did. I came up and did a couple right, of songs. Right. Yeah. Uh, we uh-huh. played with one of his his coworkers, David Hershey Webb, who's an amazing guitarist and singer and lawyer, um, and and writes his own music and, right. and produced an album. And I had the pleasure of, of playing in that with Sam. But Sam has, if you look him up on Facebook, he's got quite the quite the feed. <laughs> I don't hold back. He doesn't hold back. It's it's entertaining and informative. You might not agree, but that's that's not really the point. And at one point, uh, we were playing together with some of the same people, Brad Maestas, amazing right. bass player, yes. and Jeff Nathan, really yes. awesome guitarist as well. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a, a, a lounge band based off of Sam's Facebook Oh, yeah, post I remember that. Right. And called it the Sam Slam. And it right. would just be like loungy. Yeah. And we could bring back the gold, the gold suits right, and bow right, ties. Right. And, I remember that, and yeah. It was really amazing. Yeah. But, but just our conversations, were they, there was so much depth to them and, and just so, so much value. And I remember thinking, man, I should interview this guy because he's got so much to say. And that, but that was, that it was a cue to me that I'm, I was into that idea. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of shelved it cause I got busy like having children and here you opening are. businesses and such. And then yeah. here we go. And you so go. you were, you were natural, like right. gotta have Sam Good. on like early too. Cause it's like manifestation. We've, we've come full circle. Um, so you you know you were talking about the the segregation within your your housing project mm. and just you you got to see a lot that had to have had a big impact on your choice to to pursue the, this. What were yeah. what were some of the things you saw as a young person that kind of formed your ideas on the way people mm. were living? That's I mean, you question. said you know you grew up yeah pretty decent, and that was a time that it got rough in yeah. New York, like things got bleak, but you could see that other people didn't get dealt the same hand as you Well, did. I mean, my, my parents, you know, my father being a communist, that meant that my house was, uh, they were involved in the civil rights movement somewhat. And um, they, we used to go to civil rights rallies, as a matter of fact. And, you know, when, the, when we were watching television and the dogs were attacking people on, at the lunch count, you know, on mm-hmm. the streets and yeah. the, the lunch counters, um, the... Uh, my, you know, I was taught that that was wrong, and, right. and and in fact, one day when I was really young, my I came home. I had never heard the N word before, and I was out playing, and they were playing a game. And the way when you won the game, you got an N baby, right, as a prize, right. And I came home and used the word, and my my mother said, if you ever use it again, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And she meant it. It was that. That was the worst thing you could be in my house was mm-hmm. to be like racist and right. and and so I and I went to my first anti-war rally with my parents. Most of the kids were sneaking off because their parents wouldn't let them go. Ah, and, but we went together, and I remember. I actually remembered the chant back then was "Hell no, we won't go," mm-hmm. and my father was chanting "Hell no, he won't go." <laughs> at the same time and pointing at me as we were marching down Fifth like, Avenue. Like, you won't give up, you won't... We won't go to Vietnam. Yeah, oh, gotcha. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. So, so it, it wasn't a rebellion for me to become, you know, an activist, so to mm. speak, right? It was sort of a natural progression. And so in like, the, right around the same time when I became an atheist, I also sort of became a hippie and a yippie and an activist, and I started... I, I, I became active in the anti-war movement, and I, my hair got really long. Believe it or not, it was, <laughs> I was actually you. I've actually, actually seen down to here <laughs> uh, when I had hair. Uh, the headband came on, you know, the torn jeans, the whole thing. Um, and um, but I went to a high school, Lafayette, which was uh, the whitest high school in the city. Fifty-five hundred students, four hundred blacks. And when we had our anti-war strike for peace in 1968, the counter-demonstrators outnumbered us by two to one. There were 200 of us picketing and 400 of them. Mm -hmm. And they were calling us commies. And they were saying, what does SDS stand for? Special dick suckers? You know that. (laughs) And the police had to escort us home because they were threatening to beat the crap out of us. Um, And the police actually escorted us back to our homes. Um, Yeah, it was pretty, pretty hairy. Um, which is why in 1971 I got out of that neighborhood. <laughs> I did not want to be there anymore. Understood. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. So it sounds like empathy was part of your household growing yeah. up. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll delve a little deeper into Sam's empathy and maybe a little bit of uh, rock and roll. Yeah. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial Web. 
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox, here with my guest, Sam Himmelstein. We ended the last segment talking about what it was like in Brooklyn, uh, in your part of Brooklyn, Gravesend, as a teenager and protesting the war growing up in a family that was very anti-racist, pretty communist, but like liberal thinkers and and that impact on you and how it led to you becoming a tenant lawyer right. but you were just telling a great story i mean yeah. we also mentioned sam is a, a lifelong musician we'll 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 get into more details about that later but you were t- talking about your mother being a musician your grandfather was actually in the philharmonic why Correct. don't you continue right this is really great so you know i often th- you know music and politics are my two big things right and okay. the two go hand in hand pretty well <laughs> exactly the music I got from my mother, my, my, her father was a cellist in the New York Philharmonic. Her brother ran away from home at age 16 to join a swing band, <laughs> which was at the time the equivalent of that was the rock band. a rock band. That was it. You were the pop artist L- of the day. Literally ran away from home to play sax in a swing band and was a lifelong professional club, De- club Your grandfather musician. didn't approve? He uh, like, uh, <laughs> did not. And um, he, he later became the vice president of Local 802, the musicians oh, union. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. So the politics... My dad gave me the politics. My mom gave me the music and the culture, right? But my mother was a piano teacher and... She, one of her students was the younger sister of one of my law partners. So, so we actually knew the Gribben family back right. then. And uh, Bill Gribben was the older, sullen kind of, you know, he didn't want any part of the younger kid's brother. But he became, in 1968, the first person to openly resist the draft in Brooklyn. So he was drafted, and he was called to Fort Hamilton, Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn in Bay Ridge and 200 of us and myself included his brother included uh, were on a picket line outside uh, and he refused to be inducted and um, he uh, there was a there's a newspaper article about it in the Bay Ridge local paper front page and big picture of the picket line with me right in the middle of it, which is still on, which is hanging in Billy's office right now. Nice. Right. And it, the quote was Billy saying, the fight for freedom is at home. And so there are these, right. And then, then you know, fast forward to late 80s and Billy becomes an associate at my firm and is now my partner. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, I it mean, is, right? That's kind of what, like we, why we chose the name The Entrepreneurial Web for the show because right. it's about like all those connections, the connectivity and networking, not in a way like the sleazy kind of networking, but it's like you find so many ways like right. you're, you're all connected and it, and it just, it's very cyclical. That's really awesome. Yeah. So... 
you were we were just mentioning how how music and politics like how did how did that play out for you at at, at that point in your life where it was a, it was a pretty musically political time yeah and it got you into what because you were saying before you were doing like a society band but yeah. the, the music i've played with you and come to know right <laughs> you in association right. with is a little different i mean i've always i i, I didn't play do any playing from the five sharps which is when i was 16 17 until i formed the love handles which was 2001 i went to a gazillion concerts you didn't play at all no played at home right yeah i played at home right right and i entertained at parties and stuff like that right but i didn't play in a band by the way sam throws one of the most epic (laughs) holiday parties ever in his house how many people do well it depends (laughs) i hope amy's not watching (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> because she wants to keep it small this Come on, year. It's fifteen so. people. It sounds yeah. like fifteen hundred. Sure, no problem. No, we've had like two two hundred people yeah. at that party. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A huge house. And I always try to invite a couple of like semi celebrities. Yeah. You know, like uh, I've, yeah. I've yeah. yeah, it's been great. I've yeah. been playing next to crazy people there. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, you're like, yeah. Then we have the was? jam at the end right, of the right. party. It's every, always every, great music. Everybody brings their instruments and yeah. out they come. Right. So I mean, I went. You know, I went to see the Stones 28 times. I hung out like we all did at the Fillmore, you know. Um, you told me about, what was the, the show at MSG where you were like out all night waiting for tickets? Oh, the Bangladesh yeah, concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When we heard that George Harrison was going to be playing, uh, we, we literally went out the night before, brought sleeping bags and slept outside of Madison Square Garden so we could get tickets. So we were not going to miss that right. show. And you got in. We got in, nice. we got tickets. And then, of course, you know, in the middle of the show, Bob Dylan, who hadn't played live in right. three years at that right. point comes on the Surfaces. stage and I was with Les Gribben and I, lo- <laughs> and I look over at Les when Dylan comes out on the stage and the tears are streaming down his cheek. It's Dylan, it's Dylan, you know, he's why he can't, it's like it was a magical moment. Yeah, yeah. It really was, it's, yeah. I mean, all your stories are really magical. Yeah. That's why I love I'll give you, I, I got you. one more good one. Go so, so uh, for, I've got one. For about six months, Somebody decided to open a rock theater in Borough Park, Brooklyn, right? On New Utrecht <laughs> Avenue. Perfect spot yeah, yeah, for it. Yeah. You know, have concerts on Friday night. You yeah. know, <laughs> the neighborhood loved Not it. Not Saturday. Right. No. <laughs> so, no shows on Saturday. It lasted literally six months. Um, and uh, it was an old movie theater. And so right. one night, guess who played there? The Grateful Dead. And... We get there and we get show starts around nine o'clock and ended at four thirty in the morning. Mm. Typical dead show. Yeah. And at the end of the show, the dead say, um, "We we want to announce that a surprise show tomorrow at the Fillmore. It's going to be Hot Tuna, Traffic, and us." And we got on the train. We went straight there. Went straight there. Got sat down outside the Fillmore until the box office opened. Then went home and went to sleep. But you got you went to the show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That so was another. I mean, they were all jamming together. Why didn't you just buy your tickets online? <laughs> yeah, right, thank you. No, online then meant <laughs> yeah. getting online. online. Yeah, right, Sometimes right. overnight. Yes, that's crazy. So, so I was always, I was always into the music scene, right, yeah. and always going to shows. And at one point, I was fortunate enough to get a client who was um, um, the travel agent for the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm which gave me access to incredible tickets and got me backstage twice. Um, I took Charlie when he was eight years old, my son. Oh, wow. Uh, and we, 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 got, we were hanging out. And he's out. got the... the, the uh, so do I. The, oh, you both have the same... I, he he got it at age tattoo. six. At, for my 62nd birthday, Charlie took me to a tattoo parlor and got me a Rolling Stones tongue tattoo because that was his first tattoo. Yeah. And he wanted to, uh, you know be father and son. Yeah, no, yeah so I've done something similar with my dad. So awesome. we went to see them in Philly and we got backstage and all of a sudden somebody comes through with a birthday cake and they're heading into this back room, right? And it's Ron Wood's wife's birthday and I pretend I'm with the entourage and I sneak into the room and I, we're all standing around her and we're, we sing Happy Birthday. So I, and I sang with the Rolling Stones. I sang Happy Birthday with the Rolling Stones. And then they, they looked up and they go, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the only one who can sing. No, no. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was quite a thrill. <laughs> no more backstage tickets for no, Sam. No, 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 no. That's it, right. 
So, so I, I want to share my story yeah. that, that that musical encounter with Sam and, and kind of the company he keeps from time to time. So you were being honored at the Met Council, and it was in it was like in Chelsea or something like that. Uh, yeah, it was at a union headquarters, SEIU yeah, union yeah. headquarters, it's I like think, like 18th yeah. Street or yeah, something yeah. like that. And and Marty, your drummer, was sick that day, and you called me that morning, and, and he's like. I know you know the tunes. It was all covers, like uh, the Stones and the Beatles and, and stuff like that. The zombies. And, She's not there. Remember, right, we right, opened course, with that. Of course. Yeah. And, and Brad was playing bass, who was mm-hmm. my main bass player at the time. So I was like, sure, I'll come and do the gig. Didn't give me much more information than that. It was just like a, a spur of the moment thing. So I get I get to the show, and you start saying, oh, a few people are going to come up and, and play, uh, what was her name? The Lorenza, Lorenza Ponce, Ponce, who plays yeah. with Bon Jovi right. and lots of other people. And I played right. with her at, at your, right. one of your holiday right. party. So I knew yes. her, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And you just kept talking, and I was just like, uh-huh. It was like a busy environment. There were a lot of people there. I was just like, okay, whatever. And then... <laughs> Who comes on stage? <laughs> J.J. French from Twisted Sister. Right. So we're playing Come Together. Yes. Me and Brad are just driving <laughs> the... Right. Right. And just is great groove. And we get to the guitar solo and Jay just turns towards us. And he's in like his rock god stance yep. doing his yep. solo. Yep. And he's just like, fuck yeah, boys, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah. okay, I, the, I could die right now. And it, it would be fine. I, yeah. I did. I, I worked my whole life to hustle as a musician and yeah. got nowhere. And the impressive thing about Sam and, and his, his crew, I remember going to a Love Handle show at the Cutting Room. And it was, it was uh, early on a Friday, like Probably. maybe 6 o'clock or yeah. something like that. My friends and I moved to the city to hustle music. We all were trained musicians, so on and so forth. Thought we knew what we were doing. We'd play to the other bands in in the room at the club. Like, never drawing a crowd. Friday night, nobody's coming out. Didn't matter, whatever. We show up to this show at the cutting room. It's, it's 6 p.m. in the evening. You think most people are not ready to go out. It, it was standing room only. Right. And, and these guys are a bunch of lawyers. And right. I was like... What are we doing wrong? Right. <laughs> but it was about it was about your relationships. Right. It was about that we have I have a lot of connections and so do the other members of the band. Right. And what I learned I think if I if I had to think of what, what one of my skills is is I'm um, I'm a good marketer. Um I'm in charge of that at my law firm. Well, you're you're an excellent communicator. Okay. And that that translates to a good marketer. So, um I every time we played I to me, the key was to sort of create a buzz about it, create a scene. Mm-hmm. We would do a new, we would do a flyer, you know, really create. Felicia would make these really creative flyers, right? Yeah. And everyone had a different theme, and and so we'd invite people, and there would be this very colorful flyer, and people would, when people see that, they think, oh, this is a special event. This is, you know, instead of just getting an email, right? right? You know, so. Um, and you know, between my clients, my adversaries, a lot of my landlord lawyers would show up at those shows, believe it or not. They were looking for dirt on you. They're like, yeah. we're going to get this guy next yeah, time exactly. in court. Right. He was doing blow in the bathroom. <laughs> this guy's bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, court personnel, uh, family, but, but a know. lot of them, I like, I know some of them were your clients, but they, they were people that admired you and that was what it was about. I mean, you guys are and excellent musicians They've been playing their whole life. They've, yeah. they've got the chops for sure. You gotta, you always have to have the goods, but, yeah. but it was just fascinating to me how it was, it was the people you had made connections with. And I was like, man, I've been doing this all wrong. I've yeah. been thinking about the the product only like oh this is my music this is my band we're good look at what we can do da 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 not focusing on on the relationship yeah. and that was the first indicator to me hmm. and and you know you you always influenced me and it you know we definitely got into that vibe in the neighborhood but seeing that with you just added fuel to the fire where it's like okay this is the direction to go in yeah. like i said you've got to have a good product but you really have to build the relationships. That's yeah. what the most important thing is. So we're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to hear how Sam got into law, what that whole process was like, what it was like building a law firm, and some of the entrepreneurial aspects of that. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial Web. We'll be back in just a few. You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. (laughs) 
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. We're here with my friend, guest, neighbor, Sam Himmelstein. So, Sam, you're a partner in a law firm. Uh, you went to the New York Law School? Yes. Where's that at? Worth and Church. Oh, okay. Not NYU. People right. always confuse right. them. Right. 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 And what was that experience like? Uh, you know what they say. The first year, they work you to death. The second year, they bore you to death. I, I, it's some expression like that. Um, oh, no. The first year, they scare you to death. The second year, they bore you, they work you to death. The third year, they bore you to death. Gotcha. Right. So um, I actually took law school really seriously because uh, I saw it as if I were going to trade school, yep. like if I were mm-hmm. going to be an air conditioner repairman. And that's one of those occupations you kind of need to go to school for. Yeah, oh, you really you know, do. Like, no. There's a lot of things. Like, yeah. I, a buddy of mine, his kid just started Brooklyn College for economics. And I was like, why are you going to school for <laughs> economics? Do you, are you interested in business? Then you need to get a job. Like, work in business. Like, you, they'll pay you to learn. You, like, what are you going to do with an right. economics degree? But law, you... Law, yeah. Law, I, medicine, yeah, music. It, you really no, need, no. It really is a foreign language. You <laughs> right, know? right. Um, yeah. And the legal profession wants it that way. Well, and we were just talking about yeah. being a communicator. And I think that was yeah. one of the things. You probably were an awesome communicator before. And you went to law school and became a lawyer. And that, that festered it. Either way... It's it's really about communicating, if you're, translating. Yeah, I mean, not every, not all law. I mean, some people sit in a cubicle right, sure. and draft documents their whole right, life, right? right? But if you're going to be any kind of a litigator or an mm-hmm. advocate, or you know, even if you're going to do closings and stuff, yeah. you, you you do have to communicate. Yes. So yeah. so what what? I mean, I think we know why based off of what you told yeah. us about your history. But like, what really led you toward towards tenant law? Because before I met you, like every lawyer in my that I had ever met or that my my image of was like, eh, like I'm messing, with, not gonna hang out with that guy. But you like could hang out with you all, all day. It's different vibe. I didn't even realize like a tenant lawyer <laughs> exists. Like there aren't that there, many. There are good lawyers right. out there. Right. Like right. They, yeah. So what what pushed you in that direction? I mean, you're gonna laugh when you hear. Yeah, this. Like, I love a good laugh. It was ac- go. it was it was kind of an accident. <laughs> 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 you saw you saw the basketball tryout sign and it's, it, it, <laughs> it went it's the wrong not, way. It's not that it's not that different. Um, so I, you know, I, I did take some uh, clinical programs in law school. You know, where you actually practice and handle cases uh-huh. under supervision. Because I said to myself, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I want to. I don't want to just know the book stuff. I want to yeah. actually have the experience. So I right. took a lot of clinical, and one of them was a housing clinic and. I became uh, the the professor and uh, Jeff Glenn uh, and I are still to that to this day friends. Awesome. And um, so I get out of law school and I uh, I'll tell you a good law school story. 
So I did well in law school. I was in like the top 5% of the class. I, they invited me to join law review. I said, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But then the dean of the students called me into his office after my first year. And the, the school was trying to build its reputation at the time. And they defined that as let's get as many people placed in corporate law positions. Right. You know, so, so that's you, you where want the big that's name where, association. Right. Yeah. So he calls me in and he says, with your grades, I think we can get you a summer internship at, you know, Dewey Valentine or, you know, one of those firms. And I said, can you get me a job in legal aid or with a labor union or with an immigration <laughs> firm? He looked at me like Fucking I had communist. three heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> Never called me back in, right? He was that like, was the end. Where are you from? Yeah, Gravesend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. So, all right, I get out of law school. I don't have a job. Um, I did some. Uh, I did have some summer jobs in legal services doing tenant law, uh, but I was going to take the first, I guess you'd say, progressive law job that mm-hmm. I could find. I would have worked for a labor union. Right. I would have worked for an immigration firm. I would have... Worked for the ACLU. But the, but the interest was always for people. You were yeah, always yeah, interested yeah. in doing stuff That's for right. people. It was never like, I want a big corporate job oh. so I can buy a big dope house oh, and no. do, do cocaine never. and play rock and roll. Or evict people, for example. <laughs> or evict people, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, right. No, I wasn't going to do that, right. So uh, sure enough, uh, there was an opening at East Brooklyn Legal Services in East New York. I don't know if you know, you probably know this, right at the entrance to the Jackie Robinson Parkway, Mm -hmm. which was then the Interborough, there was a little bank, uh, I forget the name of it, Jamaica Savings Bank or something. Right, right. Second floor, that was a legal services office. That's out there. Yeah, way out there. (laughs) F train to J Street and then the A all the way back to almost to the end. Did you ride your bike? (laughs) No, never. Those were were dangerous neighborhoods back then. Right, so... Uh, I mean, my constituency was East New York, Brownsville. You know, those were the, yeah. that was my client base. Um, mm-hmm. I used to go to tenant meetings at, at night. I walked into one meeting one night, and there were these kids hanging in the, in the lobby. That's where the meeting was going to be. And I, and I was with another white lawyer who had blonde hair. And they, they look at us, and they go, yo, it's Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> 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 they thought you were coming to arrest somebody. <laughs> they, they did, yes. So anyway, yeah, I, I interview for this job, uh, and they the way they have the interviews in legal services, you, you like interview with the whole office. It's very mm-hmm. democratic, right. right? And right at the end of the interview, they say, if if we offer you the job, would you rather be in the housing unit or the government benefits unit? And, and I didn't hesitate. Yeah, yeah. I said housing. I'll do yeah. housing. Right. I got hired, uh, and it was an amazing unit. Um, several, almost every other lawyer in the unit, no, there were five lawyers, four of them became judges, um, including this guy, Peter Wendt, who was my supervisor. Then he went into private practice in 1981, formed a firm called Lanzner and Wendt. I was their first associate in 1984, and that's what morphed into my firm now. Okay. And, and, he, and how did it, how did, what was that transition like where you went from, from uh, legal services to or private? Or just the whole, from, from legal services through being an associate right. to being a partner. All right. So, in you know, own. in legal services, you represent poor people. Right. Um, who's, and is that, that city agency? It's or? federal and federal. it's mm-hmm. state and city funded. Um, mm-hmm. There's a legal services corporation in Washington that, does most of the funding, and then it, it also has private donations. Sure. It was under attack at the time. Reagan wanted to end it. Um, and uh, in bet. fact, f- five weeks after I started, we went on strike. Great. <laughs> it's right up your alley. You chose this battle. Yeah. You did. You were like, this place is, we're going to have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get some fireworks. It was, it was wonderful. It's going to be like the 4th of July all over again. And what was interesting is that we joined the same union that my father was in all his life, oh, which was wow. District 65. Yeah. He, and at that time, he was retired, and he came and marched on the picket line with it's us. It's in your DNA, man. Yeah, right. So and, DNA. And my, my friend just thought it was amazing. amazing. Sam and his father are on the picket line together. So you go so. from from like government agency yeah. to to branching out on your own. And like yeah. you know, my again, my image of lawyers growing up was always kind of sleazy. And like the movies, they'd be like, "If you win this big case, we're gonna make you yeah. a partner." Yeah. I don't get that your situation no. was like that. How did no. it come about to where you became? A, yeah. Went from being an associate, yeah, yeah, associate yeah. to a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was I brought in a ton of business. They had to make me a partner. Yeah, because um, I was paid a salary at the time, mm -hmm. but they they were also paying me a commission of any business I brought in. And, and how did that work? Did you go out and like hustle clients? You were like looking for people to represent or people were contacting you a little bit of both? It was about getting out there. I used to volunteer at Met Council in their clinics. So I would once a month in, in Park Slope, as a matter of fact, go and counsel people who came in with their legal, you know, with their landlord tenant problems. Mm -hmm. um, I and you were doing that for free. You were just yeah, yeah. yeah but because I believed in it, but I right. also saw that it had a business payoff. Sure. Frankly, yes. But it, but that's a lot of people just think about like marketing and like one for one. Like I pay you, come in. I pay you. Come no, in. no, you, nothing you, you like were, that. You did it in a very giving fashion. Yeah. it was like giving up front and hoping for some reciprocal business. Yeah, and then I got involved in a couple of really high profile cases. Mm -hmm. um, Partly because I made them high profile, but uh, but I there were there were cases that I thought. How, how did you do that without Facebook? Uh, there was a, it was the Prospect, the Park Slope Press at the time. I think was the oh, newspaper. Wow. Yeah. It was there was two local papers, and um, there there are sometimes cases that you think as a lawyer will benefit from publicity. Often mm -hmm. you you don't want publicity, but yeah. But in this case, there was this guy Harold Gilbert. He was uh, seventy eight years old shy little man who lived all by himself in a rent-controlled apartment on Carroll Street. And he had an antique violin that he cherished. Like a, it wasn't a Stradivarius, but it was the equivalent. Mm -hmm. And these two goon teachers bought his building and asked him to move. And of course, he didn't have to. And then they brought what's called an owner-use case against him, where they claimed they were going to live in his apartment. And, he went, and when he fought and he refused to move, the next day, his house got broken into and his violin was smashed. And uh, I said to myself, I got to get this in the paper. And it became a huge, huge case. And of course, we won. Nobody believed that these guys really wanted to live in his apartment. Right. And then, as a result of his case, the legislature changed the law and made it such that, um, that you couldn't evict anyone who was over 62 uh, or disabled from a rent-controlled apartment on that ground. And it, it was known as the Harold Gilbert Bill. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And um, so it, I got involved. I think the, the, the way I got my business was um, by getting... I've always been very involved in the tenant movement, right? Mm -hmm. So I, we, when the tenant organization needs a brief written, we do it. When I go to all their events, we donate to the to, to the to the money. Uh, right, to, and this to is all cost, just donation, right? whether it's money or yeah. or time yeah. and, and labor. You're, yeah, you, yeah. you guys are just donating it. And and it has, I don't know that it was conscious that I was saying to myself, "Oh, this is going to pay off, and I'm going to get business." Right. But it, right. but it did. And um, frankly, the other thing is that my my partner at the time, Peter Went, who later became a judge, Peter was uh, how do I say this? He was kind of cranky and. Um, when he became a judge, not, not, <laughs> yeah, I think you have not, to be cranky. To not, be a judge. not a uh, not a people person, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so one day, uh, uh, one of the tenant people who would refer us business said to me, "Sam, you know, I refer to your firm, and I refer to Peter. And Peter, they come in, and Peter yells at them for an hour." He says, you don't yell at them until you at least get them to sign a retainer agreement. <laughs> so, so, so I started getting most of the referrals. Yeah. And I was bringing in so much business that I was making almost what the partners were making, mm -hmm. but not assuming any of the risk because right. I wasn't an owner, right? So they approached me. <laughs> they were like, you got to see. Too much heat, Sam. In, in, in 1986... They offered me the partnership. So, did you have to invest money at nope. that point? Oh, yeah, ten, a very small right, amount. Right, right, right. It was more. So, uh, our partnership has always been kind of an egalitarian organization. Everybody is compensated equally. Mm -hmm. It's not the way most law firms are. That you, it's a function of like how many your billable hours and how much money you bring in and all that stuff. We we look at it in a kind of a socialist way that mm -hmm. everybody has a certain value. It's shocking, isn't actually. it? <laughs> Coming I'm a from socialist <laughs> from Brooklyn. <laughs> um, that everybody has a value, right? Yeah, yeah. And one, one person might not put in the hours, but they're good at marketing the firm. Mm -hmm. And one person does a lot of work with the bar association. And one person is, specializes in co-op uh, representation. And, you know, so it, 
we've always just said let's just it let's just be even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, great. So yeah. So we're gonna take another short break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the current state of things mm. with with tenant law, some new legislation, and what what else Sam has got up his sleeve. <laughs> You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. We'll be right back. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com And we're back. You're listening to The Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox, here with my guest, Sam Hillstein. So you were making some very good points uh, previously in the last segment, and I want to I want to just highlight those a little bit because I, I've, I see even more lately it being the backbone of business uh, and, and growing whatever it is you're doing. And, and again, you, you've always been a huge inspiration because you've always had people at the forefront of what you're doing. You, you've done okay for yourself, you know, like you own your home and all the great stuff that, that people want, but you really put people first. And you were talking about that previously where you were doing all this volunteer work and it turned into so much reciprocal business for you as an associate. Your partners were forced to make you a partner, which is, and it probably wasn't a quick process either, right? I mean... Well, it, I, I joined the firm in late 83, and I became a partner in 86, so it was right. about three years. So yeah. that's a, it's not overnight success. No. Um, and, and I think that's a very good lesson and takeaway from the show today is that it, it does take time to grow. You have to be patient, and you definitely have to put people first, no matter what your service or product right. is. If you're just thinking about yourself it's a very short-term goal. Right. You're, did you have a goal of being a partner, or were you just like, I just want to get in here and do this? I thought to myself I'd like to be a partner, yeah. But I never had any – I didn't think it would grow the way it grew, right? right? From right. a three-lawyer firm to a ten-lawyer right. firm, right? And I've heard that from like some very successful people that I follow and listen to these days, and it seems to be the kind of culture, hopefully. It, like For me, I, I, I feel like we're kindred spirits in that I – I'm always concerned about people. I always want people to have a great time and feel good, which is why I've been involved in, in entertainment and hospitality. It's things that I love, but I really love to see the smile on people's faces. And you do when a they, great job of thank it. Thank you. Too. I appreciate you yeah. that. But it's, yeah. it's really the, the big payoff for me is, is seeing that. I mean, I want to make a living at it and, and be able to provide for my family and, and, and have a little fun. Yeah. And and so on. But I grew up in an era where and, and under certain uh, teachers that it was like, get the money, like, right. fuck everybody else, right. get the money. Right. Like and, and now I hear more and more. And it seems like the, the generation, the new generation of workforce is more responsive to it as well, which is great for me, because all of a sudden, like one day I woke up and like I was the leader. <laughs> like When right. did this happen? Right. Like who handed me right. the keys? Right. You know, I was just a guy. I was just a hustler. I was just a hard worker. Right. And then the next thing I know, everybody's looking to me for answers. Yeah. And I was like, me? Are yeah. you sure? Yeah. And, and it gave me I was like, well, this is how I think things should be done. And it, it had to do more with people unless like I'll. I love that there's a book by Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last. 
And that just that phrase to me, it's like that. I just approached it that way. Like you guys, let me set you up. Let me get you going. Like I'll get mine at some point. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I started that with my employees and I was like, Oh, like if I do that with everybody, like with customers, with people, with, with neighbors, like this, this could be like a really good thing. And, 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 and it seems to me that's the culture coming up, which is really great. Yeah. Um, and, and I hope that continues and, and for yourself and your business, it seems like there's been some recent litigation leaning in that direction. Legislation, legislation, not litigation. Mm -hmm. Sorry. All Mm -hmm. these, I don't know what any of these big words are. I like to say them because it makes me sound smart. You you were close. (laughs) You know, you had the the right first letter and you had the shun at the end. We're going to get there. Give me time, guys. I dropped out of two high schools. Okay. (laughs) Um, so why don't you, why don't you digress a little bit about that? What's what's happened lately in in terms of like the good things, good culture for people. So I was at a CLE, a continuing legal education course about the new law recently. Mm -hmm. In fact, half my partners are at one today. Some of them are teaching it. And, um, they opened it by saying that we've done a little historical checking and these changes in the law are the single most monumental, revolutionary states, landlord-tenant laws in the history of the United States. It's never happened this way before. That was such a shift. One lesson to be learned from this, to all you cynical lefties out there, elections matter. This happened because the Democrats took over the state Senate. Right. And we got rid of those corrupt IDC Democrats who caucused with the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Right. So now the Democrats control the state Senate, I think, by 14 votes. So the tenant, and then the other lesson is, is the, the movement on the ground. So mm-hmm. the tenant movement decided to go statewide instead of focusing just on New York and mm-hmm. rent stabilization. They organized in Syracuse, in Albany, in Rochester. Right, some of these others, like Rochester, it's like yeah. treacherous. That's where my wife's from. And you, like some of the housing projects and the situation well, there is dire. The, the city, the infrastructure has just been like left undone. The right. highways and such, it's gross. So the tenant movement organized the whole state, um, came up with eight pieces of legislation, eight bills, uh, seven of which passed. The only one that didn't pass was one that would have required good cause in every single eviction throughout the state. That was a little <laughs> bit, uh, a little bit too much, I think. For people. We'll get there. But, we'll get there. Uh, but what it so what it did is, I'll try to summarize this really quickly. Um, it for us most significantly in New York for rent stabilized tenants, there's no more vacancy deregulation. There's no more, you get a tenant out, Mm -hmm. you raise the rent to a certain amount, you do improvements, that apartment drops out of rent stabilization. That's gone. That system of deregulation resulted, since it passed in the 90s, with the deregulation of hundreds of thousands of rent stabilized apartments. They don't go back in. We tried that, but, but they wouldn't Go do right. that, but they can't take them but out. But existing anymore. existing right. ones. Right. So now, because of the revamped formulas for doing renovations and the repeal of the vacancy deregulation, what it comes down to is this: if a landlord gets a tenant out of a rent stabilized apartment now, and it's not a co-op, it's a regular rental, the most they can raise the rent is eighty nine dollars a month to the mm-hmm. next tenant, and that's only if they put in at least fifteen thousand dollars worth in, of improvements. Repair, yeah. If they don't put improvements in, they can't raise the rent at all. The new tenant pays exactly what the, old, the old tenant, tenant. was paying. Yeah. The so it's great for tenants, right. and you know not my, great for property owners. <laughs> not great for property owners, and maybe not great for landlord tenant lawyers. Right. So so th- this is. This is but the you're retiring of, soon, right? Well, but see, 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 this is the difference between landlord firms and tenant firms. Tenant firms, we identify with our clients, right? Mm-hmm. It's a cause for us. It's not just a business, right? So uh, the, the, the landlord lawyers are all crying because their business is going to fall apart. Because who's going to evict a tenant now if you can only get an $89 right. a month increase? Right. There's not going to be primary residence cases. They're not going to fight succession stuff. Um, so, um, but, but, but they're crying and their clients are crying, whereas we are a little concerned about the impact it's going to have on our business, but our clients are like celebrating. But you're celebrating. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. It's and, a victory. And we, we participated in it somewhat, right. and so they're thanking us, you know. Um, but it also changed 
the, you know, how fast you have to refund a security deposit. It also changed when a tenant breaks a lease now, the landlord can't just sit there and charge them rent for the rest of the mm-hmm. lease. They have to what's called mitigate their damages. They have to try to find another tenant. Right. And if they don't, they can't sue the tenant for that, right? So it not only affected rent stabilization, it affected these other issues, which is where the Rochester and Albany people benefit. Mm-hmm. And it also gave every municipality throughout the state the option of opting in to rent stabilization. And some of them may. The whole state. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it goes by municipality. Right. So right. Uh, New Paltz is already considering it from what I hear. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine Rochester, Syracuse. So it, we may have rent stabilization spreading. So... Um, it, again, from a marketing perspective, you know, it, since our eviction defense cases may go down, and that's always been the core of our practice, mm-hmm. but, but because they also changed the formula and the amount you can recover in a rent overcharge case, that's the cases we see that are going to make up for it, so to speak. Gotcha. So you gotcha. can, tenants can now sue landlords for six years of overcharges. Oh, wow. They can get triple damages for the full six years mandatory recovery of attorney's fees, meaning mm-hmm. whatever they pay right. me, they recover right. from, the, from the landlord. So um, that's where we're trying to get the word out to, to tenants who think that they're not stabilized. Because right. there are thousands of tenants in New York. Listen to me out there, folks. There are thousands of tenants in New York who think they're not rent stabilized, but they are. And um, if you go to the DHCR, get your rent history, come to us, we'll analyze it for you. So, and where can they find information about your law firm? What's the website? It's uh, hmgdjlaw.com. And you're down like Maiden Lane, Wall Street? That Maiden Lane, yeah. and we have a Facebook page as well. Check them out on Facebook. Well, Sam, it's been really awesome. I've wanted to it's do this very for enjoyable. so long. This is this culmination of like so many good things for me. There's so many things we didn't talk about, but yeah. Yeah, it was we'll, good. maybe we'll do it again. So All thank right. you so much. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web, everybody. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll check in with you next week. Peace. <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history. 
its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 